Shalom and welcome to Shomer Mitzvot, Torah Observant, a series on practical messianic living and apologetics. I'm the author, Torah teacher Ariel Ben Lyman Hanavi. Torah observance is a matter of the heart. It always has been and always will be. The Torah proper instructed the people of Israel to love Adonai your God with all your heart, with all your being, and with all your resources. This is where Shomer Mitzvot begins, by loving Hashem and accepting Him on His terms. By this, I mean accepting His means of covenant obedience. For today, this means acceptance of Yeshua, His only Son, for Jew and non-Jew alike. Shalom, shalom. You're listening to Live Internet Studies. This is episode number 156. My name is Ariel Ben-Lyman Hanavi. Let's open with a word of prayer. Avino Bankino, our Father, our King Lord, we are so blessed that you have invited us into your throne room, into the very place where your presence is felt. We know, Lord, that you have made these holy days on your calendar special for a reason. You have infused them with with the very uh, truths and uh, relevance of Messiah Yeshua. We know that these days are um, uh, days of Messianic um, redemption. They are, they are dress rehearsals of Messianic redemption. And for that reason, Lord, we delight in them. We take the time out of our schedule to meet with Papa on his schedule. Indeed, they are your days. They are your holy days. And you have commanded us as your people to um, engage in them. And that's what we're doing. Thank you, Lord, for uh, bringing us through the holy days um, with joy, with with festivity, with celebration, with solemnness. Um, and now we're rounding the corner and we're just about ready to finish up the final days of Sukkot uh, and, and engage in just a few more festivities. But Lord, there are uh, communities out there who are um, not able to jump in for one reason or the other. Either they don't have, they're not aware of the festivals, or um, as I'm just now learning, um, uh, COVID has struck and it's uh, forcing people to have to shut their doors during this time. Uh, but that's not going to stop us from celebrating who you are as our God. Uh, we can celebrate in our own homes, uh, COVID or not. It's not going to stop us from from uh, uh, joining uh, in on our Father's calendar days. So thank you, Lord, that you're calling us out that you're continuing to open our eyes, giving us an opportunity to celebrate with you and to celebrate your goodness and to to uh, just um, uh, connect to one another across the miles and uh, feel that that presence of the Ruach Kodesh, the Holy Spirit, through our communities. Uh, we know that you're leading us. We know that you have not um, abandoned us and that you aren't clueless when it comes to um, what plans and purposes that you have. We can't fully understand why uh, these things happen. Um, 
Why the whole worldwide pandemic in the first place? Why at this time? But Lord, you know, and so we trust in you and we'll continue to trust in you and to um, avail ourselves of your resources. We're going to press into your spirit. We're going to read your words. We're going to study. We're going to um, sing and worship and praise and worship. We're going to um, uh, continue to fellowship with one another uh, to the best of our ability. So uh, just, Lord, protect us, strengthen us, and give us uh, a voice of sanity in this crazy world. And we'll be careful Lord, to give you the praise and the glory and the preeminence. Shem Yeshua, amen. Thank you, everyone, for joining me week after week during these live internet studies. My name is Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi. I'm a Torah teacher at a real-life congregation in in, uh, uh, Thornton, Colorado, in the United States, even though I'm coming to you live from South Korea. It's called Kehilat Dunaval, the Harvest Congregation, and so far we've been able to meet uh, in person. We haven't had to close our doors, Bezrat Hashem, and we're still uh, conducting our live streaming services, though, so if you go to our website right now, graftedin.com, and scroll down just a bit from the homepage, you can see that there's a thumbnail on the right here where it says, from the tabernacle to Bethlehem. Mark is Pastor Mark, our senior pastor, is still going through his sermons there. He's in the uh, festival topics, talking about um, uh, Yeshua, his birth, and his coming into the world, and the significance of the Messiah being born where he was in that part of the world. Um, Betcha most people didn't realize that Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles, celebrates likely the birth of our Messiah. Yeah, when the very Son of God tabernacled among us, right? You understand the the, the word play there. The Word of God made flesh, came and pitched his tent. The book of John, uh, using a clever Greek word, eskenosin, uh, talks about this is probably the time. So um, during this time of celebration of, of um, the fall feasts, uh, this is the one time a year when I pull out my old Christmas records, or although well, not really records, I'm not that old, um, my CDs or MP3s, and I listen to some Christmas music. <laughs> yeah, it's around this time of year because I think that I think there's a good case that can be made that Yeshua was actually brought into the world around this time of year. Uh, I don't think it was around Christmas time. Uh, in December, just doesn't fit any of the um, the the logistics right. But yeah, this is a good time of year if you're messianic to um, listen to those Christmas songs that are, of course, Messiah centric. I wasn't listening to any "Here Comes Santa Claus" or or um, "Oh Christmas Tree" or "Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer" or any of those other songs. But um, a lot of the other songs, wow! I mean, they're just right on the money. So, uh, so we hope you can join us um, for our live streaming services there. I've also got my own website at TetzeTorah.com. You can find me online at T-E-T-Z-E-T-O-R-A-H.com. I'd love to have you jump in and browse around and see what my resources can do for you there. Click on any of the links that you see on your screen right now. Most of the studies are... um, web-versed, web-based studies, right? But lately, these days, I'm turning a lot of my commentaries into um, uh, either YouTube videos like I'm doing now, or I've turned a lot of them into iTunes podcasts that you can listen to on the go or something like that. I also have another resource, that, which is really keeping me a lot, uh, quite busy these days, and it's my YouTube channel. Find me on youtube.com forward slash C for the word channel, forward slash Tetsay Torah Ministries. And from my um, YouTube homepage, you can, you can see there I upload, uh, in fact, uh, uh, my thumbnail shows that I upload content daily, which is actu- accurate. Um, but if you click on the videos tab, you can see uh, uh, 
thumbnails of all the um, the videos that I upload, um, short teachings, long teachings, uh, series teachings, and things like that. Uh, something's happening just about every day. If you do hit my YouTube channel, make sure you do these five things for me. Number one, subscribe and join the family. Number two, hit the uh, bell for notifications so you know when I'm uploading content. Number three, as you're watching my studies, Give me a thumbs up. Tell me that you like the content. Let me know what you think. Number four, leave some comments and tell me, hey, this made sense. Or tell me what you'd like to see. If there's content that I don't have and you'd like to see it and it's part of something I can do, then uh, I'll see what I can do to make a video on it. And Or if you don't agree with what my teachings are, I'm fine with that as well. But tell me why. Leave a comment and let me know. And then uh, number five, there's usually a little um, icon, depending on which device you're using to watch uh, the video, little uh, arrow button that lets you share the content with your social media contacts. That would really be great. Help my algorithm out on YouTube. Uh, share my content with your friends and family member. All right? Family members. All righty. These are the live internet studies. We're almost done with the announcements here, but just real brief, this is what we're looking at. Um, this is episode number 156, as I mentioned during my prayer. This is September 25, 2021. That's the USA time, even though here on my side of the world, I'm a day ahead. We meet each Saturday afternoon from 5 p.m. to approximately 6 p.m., um, so for about an hour. And the hour-long study is broken down into two 30-minute segments. We've got Romans 14 unplugged, feast and fast and food. Oh my, we're in part 72 tonight. Continue on through the study that we've been going through for the past year. We're just taking our time, even though it's not really a long study. I think it's only like uh, 50 or 60 pages if you were to print it out in Word format or PDF or something like that. But Segment two of our uh, hour-long study is given over to the apologetics of exploring the Shema, discussions on the issues of Trinity. We're in paper three, right? There's a pun there intended, three-part paper. Who or what is the Holy Spirit? We're in part 89 tonight. We basically just started into the Holy Spirit uh, section as, we, as we've already worked through our uh, God the Father and God the Son section. And uh, we're continuing now into the Holy Spirit section. So I hope you can join us during that study. We'll probably watch a... Um, uh, two videos tonight. If you look there, you see I've got uh, featured YouTube videos. Uh, one of them will be highlights from the Holy Convocation study. Looking forward to the Shemitiat Seret, the eighth day of assembly. That's right around the corner coming up next. I believe it's either Tuesday or Wednesday, depending on when you you know what what your calendar uh, uh, counts are. If you do your calendar counts at the evening or the morning or something like that. Um, but that's right around the corner. And then during the uh, Roman study, um, I think I might pull in another video on the book of Ephesians. We'll see. These uh, Skype uh, studies are brought to you via Skype. These live internet studies are brought to you via Skype. Um, as I mentioned earlier, uh, we meet, uh, I think I might need to change that. That 5 p.m. to 6 p.m.? Yeah, I think that's wrong there. It says 4 p.m. That's my old time. 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. So no matter where you're at in the world, set your clock against the Central Standard Time and uh, you, you should be able to meet with us. If it's during the time that we're meeting, like right now, and you're on this website, I know this video is going to be uploaded after the fact, like a few days later. But if you can uh, have your clock set right, then you can just click on that big blue banner that you see right now on my screen, the Skype link, and that'll 
open up Skype on your computer, desktop or laptop, if you have a smartphone or iPhone or tablet or, or uh, iPad or something like that, it might require a, an app or might require a download or an install or something like that. But generally speaking, if you have a computer, desktop, laptop, that's the easiest way to go. Your browser will do all the work for you. You can just join as a guest and then you're in. That's great. Uh, and then real quick, uh, if you're on my website at tatesytour.com, uh, take a moment to scroll all the way down to the very bottom. You can see a black section, footer section with a bunch of uh, Hebrew writing there. Uh, if the Lord is laying it on your heart to bless my ministry, um, this is the way to do it. The little, little, the little yellow donate button is there for you. You can give securely via PayPal uh, using a credit card or bank account or, or something like that. Uh, and uh, I would sure be blessed uh, since I'm still in a place where uh, I, I can't provide for myself fully. So I'm just living on uh, the blessings of others and the goodness of the Lord. So uh, as I always say, be blessed as you seek to be a blessing to others. All right, without further ado, let's jump right into the Romans 14 Unplugged, Feast and Fast and Food. Oh my. And uh, let me bump up the screen size for myself. And scroll down into the screen. As you know, it's a study that I have put together. It's available online at my website at tatesaytor.com. And um, uh, it goes through Romans chapter 14, somewhat verse by verse. verse and we're, we've been going along, and we're really almost through the... Uh, through the full study. If you look at the table of contents, like you can see on my screen, we scroll all the way down. We're actually in section number, or if you want to call them paragraphs or chapter numbers, that's fine. We're actually way down in section number 15 of 18 sections. We're looking at verse number 19. Uh, the question I have, um, how can we make for peace and mutual upbuilding? So if I click on that, link right there in the in the uh, live study link, uh, the, the website link, it takes me all the way down. I've recently uh, na added navigational links to the study, make it easier for all of us to find what we're looking for. Uh, we can see the verse in question that we're going to be studying tonight, Romans 14.9. Uh, I've got the ESV rendered over on the left side of the screen. I've got the SBLGNT version of Greek on the right side of the screen. Let's just read both of those real quick. Paul writes in Romans 14, which I think at this point in the letter, uh, in this chapter, it captures part of the heart of what he's trying to convey in this chapter. Certainly not the whole letter, right? The letter is so diverse. It covers such a broad range of topics. Um, it's no wonder it's been called Paul's um, magnum opus, right? His great uh, theological treatise on, on salvation and justification and sanctification and, and sin and uh, 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 you know all of tree theology that we find in Romans chapters 9 through 11. And all of those topics that show up in this wonderful letter that has been preserved for us by the Holy Spirit. But in Romans chapter 14, we see this snapshot of these, these community folks that are thrust together in this, um, this dynamic, this, this socio-religious uh, um, uh, melting pot where, where Jews and Gentiles are brought together and they're going to have to face uh, each other's um, food preferences and holy day preferences and and dietary restrictions and and uh and they're fighting and they're quarreling and uh they're judging one another and Paul is just he's he's not going to have any of it even though Paul has never visited this congregation as far as we can tell he's writing to them from i believe it's Corinth in the mid 50s of his day or closer probably the late 50s by this point in time because he's going to visit Rome sooner or later but uh he's writing to a group of people that he hasn't met 
And so he's trying to do damage control all the way long distance, right? So he writes in Romans 14, and at verse 19, he starts to express, well, he's already done it before, but now he's kind of just, he's just hammering his thing home. You guys are the community of God. I'm paraphrasing what Paul's really trying to convey to them. You guys are God's people. And as Jews and Gentiles brought together under the power of Messiah, you have got to demonstrate what it means to be unified in the Messiah, in the Spirit. And so he says in verse 19, let us pursue, right? It's not an option. This is the command. Let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. We can't be like the Gentiles of old where it's just... Um, everyday habit to, you know, have this kind of this lawsuit mentality or this challenge one another mentality, or I'm going to take you to court, or I'm going to, I'm going to, um, I'm going to get my revenge on you. You know, I, I watch, uh, uh, TV every now and then when I'm, when I'm not studying or when I'm not looking for a job. And, uh, you know, that just seems to be the, the thing that people do all the time. You know, you hit me, so now I got to go hit you. Um, but Paul, Paul's not going to have any of that. Um, you guys need to exemplify what it means to live a life that's been changed, right, from the inside out. So we have to pursue what makes for peace. And guess what? It's not going to be easy, but... But we're not alone. God himself is going to help us. Um, the Greek over on the right side of the screen says, Ara un tates erenes diokomen kai tates oikadomes tates eis alelus. All right, and that'll be part of our liturgy for tonight. So let's jump down into the study. And what we're finding is that um, it's likely that even though Emperor Claudius issued a decree to expel the Jews from Rome earlier, right, maybe just a few years earlier than Paul uh, wrote his letter, it's like if there was still a large enough Jewish community that had returned to Rome, because I believe that the, not everyone got expelled, but there was a large enough um, community that allowed Paul to write to a real-life community that could relate to his um, reaching out to Jews and Gentiles together, and, and, and this is a very important part, they were commanded to work with one another. In other words, this is well before the, what we would recognize today as the historic split between the church and the synagogue. Um, it's natural for us to sometimes anachronistically read back into the text and say, well, Paul's only writing to Gentile Christians. You know, there might have been one or two Jews in the, in the group, but Basically, it's a Gentile Christian church, and so he doesn't really concern himself with all those Jewish, um, you know, laws and those restrictions and the law of Moses. Of course, you know, Paul's going to champion that the law's been done away with or fulfilled in Jesus. Um, you know, the law of Christ has displaced the law of Moses. I'm describing what today theologians would would. Um, recognizes forms of replacement theology or supersessionism. Um, and unfortunately, many well-meaning Christians today read through the Bible and they're not even aware that there are kind of um, anti-Torah or anti-Jewish or replacement theology kind of sentiments baked into um, many of the sermons that they listen to from their local pulpits. And I'm not faulting any of the pastors, don't get me wrong, I'm not pointing my bony finger at um, the theologians that are sitting there in their um, seminaries and things like that. I'm just simply trying to recognize that there is a problem in many of today's Christian communities, and many people aren't aware of it. And so, uh, thanks be to God that... Um, eyes are being opened and we're being made a, a, a aware of the issue of the relevancy of Jews in Paul's day 
the relevancy of Torah within the communities. Paul did not make a break from his Jewish communities, as far as I can tell. Uh, he still upheld Torah observance. He, he modeled Torah observance, uh, even for Gentile Christians. Now, I know that would have been a difficult endeavor because they weren't raised with that type of um, social background. But this is what causes chapters like this to be so relevant for us today, because here we are in the 21st century, right? We're 2,000 years removed from Paul's writing, and yet we still face some of the same issues. When I visit many Christian churches, and I, you know, I look visibly Jewish, uh, at least I'm wearing, you know, a kippah and a talit and and whatnot, um, and our tzitzit on on my cl- on my uh, garments, and people begin to ask me, you know, what is all this? Why are you keeping all those ceremonial parts of the law? You know, isn't all that done away with? And I say, aha, I'm glad you asked. Right. So, um, I mean, tzitzit are really the original witness wear, if you, in my opinion, right? I mean, because they're like, you know, 3,500 years old versus, you know, the t-shirts that you can buy with, you know, John 3.16 on it. So, let's jump into this part of my study where we're doing this, it's a bit of an excursus. We, we left off last week where we're looking at the situation in Romans, right? Jews and Gentiles working together. The, the issues out, right? They're judging one another. Paul's telling them, you can't do that. You've got to stop doing that. They're, they're looking down their nose at one another and over something such as food, right? They get together for table fellowship and a food fight breaks out, right? You can't eat that. No, that's unclean. No, uh, uh, that, was, that was picked up in the common marketplace. It's koinos. No, no, no. It's akathartos, right? Um, akathartos or something like that. And so the, the two groups the Jews and Gentiles, or those who are keeping one diet, those who are keeping another diet, and those who are keeping one set of special days, and when people are keeping a different days, which I think were fast days, by the way. I don't think it was a Sabbath versus Sunday, but uh, we talked about that uh, weeks ago or months ago. Um, either way, Paul says, look, you guys are the community that God himself has, has redeemed by the, by the blood of his very own son. And you're filled with his precious spirit, and therefore, you can't behave the way that you're behaving. And so, let me tell you what you guys need to do. And so, I think that what Paul is doing is he's instructing them by the spirit of the Lord, right? God is leading him to uh, uh, speak to the people this way. But he has this same line of instructions that shows up in other letters, in other parts of his writings. And so, we're going to borrow some of Paul's notes from the book of Ephesians. Was the church at Rome familiar with Paul's other letters? I can't say for sure, um, but let's just imagine for a moment that um, that they had access. Like, I mean, today we can thumb through our Bibles, we can turn to Romans, we can flip over to Ephesians, we can we can compare both, compare and contrast, and we're going to do that today. But you know, could they have done that? Mm, probably not likely. But nevertheless, the heart of what Paul says in one letter carries over into another letter. So here's what I'm trying to say. How are they going to make for peace and mutual building? Are they just going to kind of put up with one another? Like I mentioned a few weeks ago, last week or so. Is that what Paul's saying? Hey, you guys, you know, I know you you got your social religious differences, right? Jews and Gentiles and, and uh, you know, pagans and and uh, uh, religious Jews and, and you know, the, the, you got all the halakha of the rabbis and things like that. Is Paul just going to say, you know what, just just live and let live, right? Just just get along. I know you don't like each other, and that's fine, but can we just all get along? Is that Paul's attitude? I don't think it is. I don't think he is. I think Paul knows that the Spirit of God is working inside of them. And because of that, there's more at stake than just saving face or um, um, you know, not engaging in Lashon Hara, which is like gossip. 
I think Paul knows and wants them to also uh, understand that the the way to lasting peace and um, uh, community at building, like he's talking about in, in verse 19, is to allow the Spirit of God conti- to continue to change us from the inside out. That's how our communities are changed. I know it's one by one, right? It starts with one individual, but somebody has to um, take the lead. Typically, it might be the uh, the, the pastor or, or the head rabbi or somebody like that who, who sits the congregation down and says, look, we're not going to have any of this. Um, the Spirit of God is not happy with our judgmental attitudes towards one another, despite our differences of understanding of the text. Let's look at the way Paul articulates this in Ephesians. All right, keep in mind, we're, this is a Roman study, but we're going to use the book of Ephesians in this little excursus tonight, and we might look at the video that I prepared that matches this particular section in the book of Ephesians. So um, look at this right here. Um, Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 14, here's what Paul has to say to that group, and the spirit of what he's writing there, keep in mind, I believe, carries over into what... Uh, Paul would have had in mind for his Romans crowd, particularly in verse in chapter fourteen, chapter fourteen of Romans. Paul says in Ephesians, speaking of Yeshua first and foremost, he himself is our peace, who has made us both one. Now I mentioned last week, who's the us? He said, who has made us both one? Who is the us? In Paul's mind, I believe he's talking about Jews and Gentile members in the same congregation, the community of Israel. And the community of grafted-in ones, those from the nations, the wild olive tree, borrowing his Romans 11 theology or uh, picture there, the, the wild olive branches, the Gentiles from the nations are being brought into this relationship with God, into a relationship with Messiah and the fellowship of the Spirit. But, something we often miss, they're also being brought into the community of Israel. They're being brought into relationship with the very people of God, the existing family of God, Abraham's family, right? So Abraham's family, right? Uh, Galatians chapter 3, Romans chapter 4 all over again. Abraham's family is being enlarged with the inclusion of the Gentiles. And so that is the us. Who's the us? And this is the mystery of the gospel that Paul uh, articulates in a later part of this particular letter of Ephesians. I think it's around chapter 5 or 6 where he talks about the mystery of the gospel. So he says, Jesus, Yeshua himself, he made us one. And he broke down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, right? We've got this hostility between these community groups over maybe special privileges. God loves us more than he loves you. Or we're the chosen ones and you're not. Or look how special we are because we've got all these wonderful laws and you guys don't have them you guys are just you know stone cold pagans or you know there was this hostility that was really strong in paul's day over um chosenness over uh community uh dynamics and things like that and so it was it was a big challenge to suddenly um acknowledge that god was doing this wonderful new thing by bringing those from the nations into the family of abraham without forcing them to change their ethnic status from Gentile to Jew, right? The whole proselyte conversion ceremony, uh, works of the law, uh, covenantal nomism perspective that was uh, rampant in Paul's day. The poison of, ethno, of uh, ethnocentric Jewish exclusivism. Um, you know, it's not wrong to be Jewish, and it's, you know, I'm proud of being Jewish myself. But there's a point where I can take it too far and think that it's my Jewishness that sets me apart from everyone else and makes me super duper special in God's eyes and earns me brownie points as I as I 
become loyal to God's covenant, uh, expressing Torah observance and things like that. I can begin to um, take on a legalistic perspective when it comes to my ethnicity and my Torah observance, and that's absolutely wrong. And that's, I think, something that Paul definitely had problems with in the first century. So Yeshua, in verse six, uh, 15, we, we continue reading in, in Ephesians chapter 2, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, notice, and we're going to look at this phrase tonight, how did Yeshua tear down the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two? Did he actually do away with the law? I mean, that's what it seems like the verse is saying. And if we are to take what historic Christianity has uh, basically taught us for the last 2,000 years, that's exactly what happened. Messiah came and did away with the law, right? You've heard it taught in your pulpits. I'm certain you probably read it in your Bible commentary somewhere. Jesus did away with the law, right? Law of Moses is out. Law of Christ is in. Um, Torah's out. New Testament's in, right? Old, uh, how do we, they, they say it? Old Testament's out. New Testament's in. Um, uh, things like that. Um, you know, the, the Israel's out. The church is in. The church is the new people of God. Uh, remember what I talked about earlier? Supersessionism, replacement theology. Um, actually, I do not believe, I do not subscribe to that perspective, to that interpretation of this passage. And we're going to look at that tonight. Uh, I don't think it's necessary to hit the reset button, like I said last, year, last week, hit the reset button on God's laws and commandments in order to bring in the new covenant, the, the, to bring in the Gentiles into Abraham's family. It's not necessary to displace uh, the law of Moses in order to do that. It doesn't really accomplish anything in the plans and purposes of Hashem by teaching that the laws have been done away with. There's a better way to understand this passage, and we'll look at that tonight. So, um, Yeshua creates in himself one new man, or some versions of translations say one new humanity, in place of the two. Who are the two again? Again, Jews and Gentiles, who are at odds with one another over their cultural differences, their religious perspectives, uh, and things like that, their, their um, ethnicity challenges. Yeshua creates in himself one new humanity, why? Why is this humanity new? It's because in Messiah, as one pastor I heard say it, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. We all come to him broken. We all come to him in need of redemption. It doesn't matter whether you're Jewish or Gentile, your ethnicity, your, your background, your social status, your, your, your gender, male, female. What is, how does Paul put it? You know, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female. The, gr- the, the ground is level when we approach the Messiah in our sin and in our shame. We are all in the same place. We're all sinners. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, we read in the Epistle of Scriptures. So we know that it is going to be necessary for Yeshua to help us see past all those kind of what we might call service level distinctions in our life. And I'm not, again, I'm not saying that your, your gender is, 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 um, uh, is a bad thing. I'm not saying your ethnicity is a bad thing. I'm not saying your social status is a bad thing. But when it comes to bringing the truth of the gospel into your heart, into your life, you've got to realize that the Messiah is greater than all that. He's bigger than all that. He can save anyone who comes to him. 
right? For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, Paul says in this very same letter of Romans. So Yeshua is the one who makes this new humanity, creates this new humanity in place of the two, the fractured two are read in one translation. So making peace, and then in verse 16 of Ephesians, he says, and he might reconcile us both, there's the us again, right? The Jew and Gentile, reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing or destroying, really is the, the force of the Greek there. He destroys the hostility. So that's Ephesians 2, 14 through 16 out of the ESV, and the emphasis on the, uh, the so making peace was mine. All right, so let's look at this passage. In light of what Paul is trying to express to the um, Romans there, let me do this little excursus, which is kind of like a little digression. In Ephesians chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 15, let's just ask the question. Jesus broke down the wall of separation between Jew and Gentile, but what does that mean? Does it mean he abolished the law? Does it mean he did away with the Torah? Does it mean he, he erased the distinctives? Is there really no longer any Jew and Gentile, male or female, slave or free? Is that really how we're under, under, to understand uh, those phrases that show up in Paul's letters? Uh, I think there's one instance of it in Galatians, another one shows up in Corinthians. Is he really saying that really um, there's no distinctives anymore and that's the solution is just to bring everyone together in our congregation? Don't say you're Jewish, don't say you're Gentile, heck, don't say you're male or female or slave or free, and everyone just live as one kind of amalgamated community where we have no distinctions. Is that really the solution? And all of this under what we might term a law-free gospel? Is that the solution? Um, I'll tell you right up front, I don't think it is. So let's let's look at how I've articulated this. I say in my commentary, how are we to understand Paul's words in regard to the dividing wall of hostility, right, between Jew and Gentile in his day, and the, quote, law of commandments expressed in ordinances, quote, uh, which were somehow abolished by Christ? We know that they were abolished, but what was abolished, right? What was put aside? What was destroyed? And I say, germane to our study here in Romans 14, 19, how would the theology... Of, of Ephesians 2 help Paul's communities in Rome, quote, pursue and make what makes for peace and mutual building. Remember, that's the verse that we're looking at in question, the Pasuk. In question is, how can they pursue peace and make for mutual building despite our differences? All right, here's how my um, commentary reads. I'll start with Ephesians 2.14 to build context and then work towards Ephesians 2.15 in the um, commentary. So here's the verse in question one more time. Quote, For he himself is our peace, speaking of Yeshua, who has made us both one, both Jew and Gentile, one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. This is verse 15 of Ephesians 2. Now, Isaiah, my commentary... It's commonly taught that the dividing wall of hostility being broken down was the law of Moses, the Torah, right? This is common knowledge by way of Christian theology today. If you jump into any church, Bible study, go online to any Bible uh, study online or uh, visit your average seminary or pick up any theology books, typically this is the way the interpretation is going to spin that the dividing wall of hostility being broken down was uh, the Torah of Moshe and that Yeshua's death and um, uh, redemption severed the believer's relationship, both Jew and Gentile, from any obligation to keep 
uh, the law of Moses, particularly the um, the ceremonial parts like Sabbaths and keeping kosher, wearing tzitzit, putting a mezuzah on your door, keeping the festivals, things like that. So it seems to be that the best way to understand the redemption that we enjoy as Messiah, as uh, believers in Messiah, is that we basically need to approach um, the Bible with the idea that all that's really relevant for us uh, to live our lives as 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 um, as redeemed people is to embrace essentially the New Testament. Um, the Old Testament's there for kind of our uh, edification or or Sunday school Bible stories, or um, uh, we can draw some um, examples from the Old Testament stories. You know, Samson and Jonah and 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 Abraham and things like that. But nothing really there for our everyday living, right? We're not going to base our uh, our lifestyle on uh, what Moses says. That's the, the predominant uh, perspective in today's kind of popular Christian theology. But as I say in my study, in my study and teaching of the Bible, I firmly maintain that the barrier being destroyed cannot possibly be the Torah for one reason, because the Torah never, never commanded a dividing wall of hostility, quote-unquote, between Jews and Gentiles. Yes, God commanded a separation between the clean and the unclean. Yes, God commanded us to abstain from that which was profane, that which was um, unsanctified, to make a difference, to lead holy lives, um, to pursue righteousness and things like that. That has always been the standard that that is presented in God's word. Yes, that is true. But did God command Jews and Gentiles to separate from one another, uh, part and parcel, never to uh, join in community efforts? Um, was it, and 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 keep in mind that I'm really banking on this idea of dividing wall of hostility. Did God command us to be hostile towards one another? Yes. We destroy paganism and evil whenever we see it. Darkness is to be um, destroyed. I mean, one of Yeshua's very purposes of coming into the world was to destroy the works of the devil. Amen to that. But we aren't commanded to to strengthen some quote-unquote dividing wall of hostility between Jews and Gentiles. I don't find that in the Torah. If there is a verse that that where God commands Israel to build and to establish a dividing wall of hostility between Jews and Gentiles, show me that somewhere in the Tanakh. Someone uh, in your in the YouTube uh, uh, family out there, uh, leave me a comment in the video below. Tell me where where that's what's taught. I don't find it anywhere. So there's no need for Yeshua to come in, tear down the dividing wall of hostility. No, I think that dividing wall of hostility was put together by humans. That's human effort. That's 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 um, man's foolishness that steps into God's plans and tries to say, let's separate ourselves, right? The poison of the rabbis of the first century, the the um the leaven of the scribes and the Pharisees, uh, the errors of the um, oral traditions that are even still present in today's Jewish communities that seeks to build a wall of separation between Jews and Gentiles that says that we can't meet together as communities because we're two different people groups, right? Uh, Jews can keep the Torah, but Gentiles can't. You know, God forbid a Gentile should try to keep the Sabbath or whatnot. Um, we're reading in certain parts of, of Talmud and things like that. This dividing wall of hostility was 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 man's doing. It was not God's doing. Yeshua came to tear that thing down. Let's keep reading. It is true that Israel was singled out by God to be a nation separated unto himself. Read Exodus 19:16 and Amos 3:2 like I say in my commentary. 
But, as I say, as I've already mentioned, the separation is the paradigm presented to demonstrate the basis for a unique covenant relationship in which the husband would love and cherish his bride with a unique love not intended for other women. Right? He's, read Isaiah 54, verse 5. So, the separation is a, is a model where God, the husband, brings Israel to himself as his bride and says, you are my unique, special, treasured possession. You're my amsugala, my treasured people, my treasured possession. And you are separated from the world in a sanctification manner unto me as a holy people. And you are to lead sanctified lives that are exemplary of my very character. I'm holy and you shall be holy. Be ye holy for I am holy, we read in the Torah and in the Apostolic Scriptures. So this again is kind of a picture of marriage, right? When a man takes a wife unto himself, he's saying no to every other woman in the world. He's saying there's only one love for me. There's only one woman who's special and unique and enjoys a relationship with me that is unlike any other woman. It's not for the purpose of creating hostility between the other women, you know, when I got married, it wasn't so that I could look at other, every other girl in the world and say, okay, now we're enemies. That's not really why I got married. But the point is, and I think you're catching it, I now enjoy a unique relationship with my wife that is unshared with other uh, females, right? There's a unique uh, relationship. And that's uh, the, the paradigm I'm trying to describe in my commentary here. I go on to say... Uh, Keep in mind, we're, we're doing this little excursus to Romans chapter 14 uh, using the book of Ephesians. Paul's the writer in both locations. I say in my commentary, more of this separation right, uh, from, of Israel from the nations did not forbid those from the nations, the Gentiles, the Goyim, right, the Gerim, the Goyim, the Ethnos in the Greek, from attaching themselves to Israel, to her God, and thus by covenant to Israel's Torah, right? Go back and read Exodus 12, 49, Leviticus 24, 22, Numbers 15, 29. In fact, I say, quoting Isaiah, Isaiah says the coastlands, the Gentiles, would be eagerly waiting for the servant of the Lord, the Messiah, to bring this law to them, right? Go back and read Isaiah 42, 4 all over again. I say Jew and Gentile coming together under one identifier called Israel, is clearly shown in the Tanakh. Now, I say clearly because it was still a mystery to Israel. They weren't fully understanding how Gentiles could be part of Abraham's family without going through some change in their ethnicity. But And this is particularly pronounced by the time we get to Paul's day in the first century with all of the proselyte conversion programs that were being um, pushed by uh, ethnic Israel, particularly for Gentiles wishing to be counted as righteous in the sight of the leadership of Israel, um, this unnecessary man-made conversion package was being uh, kind of um, uh, regulated. Uh, in other words, Israel was kind of micromanaging the um, immigration into Israel uh, from their perspective, even though it's unbiblical and it was unnecessary. So I go on to say in my commentary, so if the Torah cannot be the dividing wall, what exactly was it? If it wasn't the law that Jesus broke down, what exactly was the dividing wall? Well, whatever it was, I say in my commentary, it created the enmity, the hostility. We've got our Greek there. It's the echthron, which was mentioned in both Ephesians 2.15 and in Ephesians 2.16, which we're going to get to in, in a moment. Uh, let me see how far down this uh, excursus goes. 
Uh, it goes a little further than I might cover tonight. Let me stop right here real quick and show you the video um, that I created that, that kind of complements this particular section. And we'll pick this up next week, uh, continue talking about this particular um, issue of the dividing wall of hostility in Paul's day between Jews and Gentiles. Was it the Torah? Was it their ethnicity? Was it their social status as Jews and Gentiles, um, you know, trying to kind of vie for God's favor in the people groups of God? You know what I mean? You know, the Jews were God's special chosen people from days gone by, but then suddenly the Gentiles are brought into this mix. And now supposedly, I'm using air quotes with my fingers for those who can't see, supposedly the Gentile church is now the new special people group of God. What gives, right? We've got this kind of um, uh, animosity towards one another other that's building up and uh you know no we're the special people no we're the chosen one uh you know no it's law of moses no it's 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 the law of christ you know we got this animosity and enmity that's 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 really uh coming to a heated uh boil here in um in the first century and paul's gonna have to uh deal with that but let's watch this little video that i prepared especially on this particular uh topic i think it's about five minutes long and then after the video I'll close this part of the study and we'll move into the uh, the um, uh, the exploring the Shema. Short questions, short answers by Torah teacher Ariel and E Bible. Copyright Tate's Tour Ministries, of course. All right, here's our question. Question, what did Paul mean in Ephesians 2.15 that abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two? Yeah, it's quite a lengthy question, and uh, we're going to take a few minutes to go through it step by step, and hopefully it'll make a little more sense than it has done in the past. So, if you read through eBible, you'll find that most standard Christian answers are concise and pinpoint accurate when commenting on this verse. Their answers usually forthrightly reinforce the central truth that Yeshua Jesus broke down the wall of separation between Jew and Gentile and created one new man in himself. Most Christian answers are going to catch that central theology about that Jesus is the one that broke down this wall. I want to elaborate on the antecedent theology as well as the first century historic and social implications of this separation, thus further uncovering the true meaning behind what it meant that Messiah, quote, abolished the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, end quote. What exactly did Paul mean when he was trying to explain this concept of this law of commandments expressed in ordinances? Was it the Torah or was it something else? Let's keep reading. I think my answer might go a long way towards helping to better understand some of the challenges that Paul faced as a Messianic Jew who was sent by Yeshua to the Gentiles. Read Acts 22:21 as well as Ephesians 3:1. Paul was specifically commissioned by Yeshua to take this gospel to the rest of the world. Paul of Tarsus, the apostle to the Gentiles. Yay! Yeah, we're glad he sent. We're glad he went, right? 
All right, let's keep reading. So Ephesians 2, 14 and 15. Let me start with verse 14 and back up in my answer to build context, and then that way work towards verse 15. And we read this in our, our liturgy already. He himself is our peace, Yeshua. He, bro- he made us both one, and he broke down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. That's verse 14, 14 working our way towards 15. So if we look at verse 14, we've got basically the Christian opinion on one hand, and we've got the messianic opinion on the other hand. So what is the Christian opinion? It's commonly taught that the dividing wall of hostility, the quote unquote, that's being broken down was the law of Moses. In other words, the law of Moses, the Torah. That's the Christian opinion. But, but in my study and teaching of the Bible, I firmly maintain that the barrier being destroyed cannot possibly be the Torah. And that's a general messianic opinion. Messianic opinion. You're going to find these disagreement between these two camps these days. And why don't I think that? It's because the Torah never commanded a, quote, dividing wall of hostility, end quote, between Jews and Gentiles. That's my first way of interpreting this passage. There's no such dividing wall. Now, it is true that Israel was singled out by God to be a nation separated unto himself. Read Exodus 19.6, Amos 3.2. But the separation is the paradigm presented to demonstrate the basis for a unique covenant relationship in which the husband would love and cherish his bride with a unique love not intended for other women. Read Isaiah 54, 5. So the separation of Israel from the nations is for a specific teaching tool. Moreover, this separation did not forbid those from the nations, the Gentiles, from attaching themselves to Israel, to her God, and thus by covenant to Israel's Torah. Read Exodus 12:49. Read Leviticus 24:22. Read Numbers 15:29, where uh, those passages specifically mention the verbiage of the foreigner, the stranger who dwells among you, and things like that. In fact. Isaiah says the coastlands, the Gentiles, would be eagerly waiting for the servant of the Lord, which is Messiah, to bring this law to them. Read Isaiah 42, verse 4. It's a wonderful verse for those of you who are Gentiles to identify with. Jesus the Messiah was going to bring the Torah to the Gentiles, of course, along with salvation. Now, Let's describe Covenant Israel for a moment. We've seen this picture before in other YouTube videos of mine. We have Covenant Jews plus Covenant Gentiles. And what does that equal? Jew and Gentile coming together under one identifier called Israel is clearly shown in the Tanakh. Albeit, of course, maybe the Gentiles weren't showing up in mass like they did after Acts chapter 2. But nevertheless, Covenant Israel has always been a mix of Jews and Gentiles. All right, so if the Torah cannot be the dividing wall, then what was it? Well, whatever it was, it created the enmity, the hostility, the Greek is echron, that was mentioned in both Ephesians 2.15 and Ephesians 2.16. And we read that in our liturgy. So we had this wall between Jews on the left side there and the Gentiles on the right. By the first century, Jews outnumbered Gentiles in national Israel. Of course, that makes sense. But more importantly, Jewish Israel actually forgot that Gentiles in Israel were to be counted as equal covenant members. And instead, they imposed a man-made proselyte ceremony upon them if new prospects wished to join 
Israel. This was really one of the central um, sociological features that began to create problems in the first century. This was wrong. Thumbs down. Yeah, that's right. We don't want to follow that bad theology. God commanded Israel to practice communal ritual purity. That's true. The practical outworking of the oral Torah and rabbinic laws of purity, however, raised a strong wall of jealousy, shared resentment, and separation between the Jews in Israel and the Gentiles outside of Israel, even if this was not the original intent. You guys understanding that that this was the historical worldview that Jews and Gentiles had to deal with in that day. So what are our conclusions? The dividing wall of hostility in Ephesians 2.14 was the vile man-made social class caste system set in place by oral Torah and Jewish leaders seeking to keep a social and religious difference between Jews and Gentiles. Jewish religious pride and Gentile resentment of that pride fostered the shared social hostility. Right, it was on both sides. Jesus came to establish once and for all that Jews and Gentiles in him constituted a, quote, spiritual Israel within national Israel, end quote. Read Romans 9, 6 through 8, Romans 9, 23 and 24, and Romans 11, 1 through 7. The remnant of Israel, that's who they are. In the remnant, Jews and Gentile believers were equal. Something Paul states later in Ephesians 2, 18 through 22, if you continue reading down through that passage. And this is vitally important that we catch this concept. We could draw these two circles like we're used to hearing me talk about. We got national Israel on the left side circle. We got the Gentile nations on the right side circle. And as we bring the two circles together and overlap them, we create this slice in the middle called remnant Israel, AKA the church. Make sense so far? That's the way to understand Paul's theology. Yes, that's the better way to understand the theology. So using the whole context of Ephesians 2 to bolster my argument, I would paraphrase Ephesians 2, 14 and 15 thusly. Here's my paraphrase. Quote, For he himself is our peace, who has made both Jews and Gentiles and Messiah into fellow citizens with one another and both into members of Israel, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility created by the class caste system. Right? Following along so far? Let's continue with my paraphrase. By abolishing the laws of oral commandments found in man-made dogma, that he might create in himself one new redeemed humanity in place of the fractured and separated two, so making peace. Yes, Yeshua made peace by bringing a new way of understanding Jewish and Gentile relationships towards one another. Right, and I hope that goes a better, a longer way towards better understanding this passage here in Ephesians. Be blessed as you seek to be a blessing to others. Well, that'll do it for this week's YouTube video. Uh, my podcasts are available on iTunes. Just search for me under the term Ariel Ha Navi. We'd love to have you uh, log in and listen to all of the podcasts that I got available to you. But to all my faithful YouTube subscribers out there, like to um, uh, encourage you to watch my YouTube videos. Make sure you're subscribing and clicking the setting that allows you to receive the updates when I upload new videos. New content is added weekly. In fact, it's more than once a week. It's multiple times a week. Okay, I promise. 
Um, I'm not going to do the normal type of study tonight. I'm not going to do the, uh, the the exploring the Shema. Uh, instead, I'm going to um, uh, do like a mini interview with with uh, Rabbi Mark. But um, let me just read just the liturgy real quick, uh, the two passages, uh, and then we'll go straight from the liturgy into um, a short little interview with, with uh, Rabbi Mark, and then we'll close the study. The liturgy for tonight was uh, based on the uh, the festivals, um, Leviticus 23. As you can see on my screen, I decided to pull the interlinear Bible up so you can see which words in the Hebrew match which words in the English. And um, we read the English last week of this passage, so I'm not going to read the English tonight. Um, I'll just read through the Hebrew, and those of you who can see my screen, if you can read Hebrew, uh, it shows up right there, reading from right to left. If you can't read the Hebrew, there's transliterated Hebrew right above it, if you can make sense of that. I, I can't make sense of that. And then there's English right under that, and don't worry about the Strong's numbers above and all the other uh, morphology and stuff below. Um, but the Hebrew, we're just going to read four verses. Leviticus 23, 1 through 4. Um, this puts us in the uh, context of the festivals. Um, you can see the English on the screen, the wooden version, the kind of pony version. So if you want to follow along with that, just, just uh, follow along. But very quickly, the, the Hebrew says, Verse 2 says, Verse 3 says Sheshet Yamim Tese Malacha Uvyom Hashvi Shabbat Shabbaton Mikra Kodesh Kol Malacha Lo Taasu Shabbat Hiladonai Bohol Mushvotechem. And that's Leviticus uh, 23 1 through 3. And then if I were to jump into verse 4, it's going to start talking about. Um, four and five is going to start talking about uh, Passover and the rest of the festivals. I like reading verse four. Uh, it says, "Elemo Adonai Mikra Ekodesh Asher Tikru Otam B'Moadam." These are the festivals of the Lord, the holy convocations which you, Israel, shall proclaim at their appointed times. And so this is the time in the season that we're in right now. The festivals of the Lord are right in the middle of uh, Sukkot, as I mentioned. By the time you watch this video, Sukkot will have been uh, passed. But the themes surrounding this time of year, the fall festivals, which evokes uh, the second coming of Yeshua back to planet Earth to redeem us, to, to, um, to uh, resurrect our bodies, uh, heralded by a sound and the blast of, the, of a trumpet. Um, this is our liturgy reading from... Um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and last week we started in verse 15. I'm using the same, it looks kind of busy on your screen, but let me find, there we go. Starting in verse 15, um, this time it reads left to right. Uh, if you can follow along, the Greek starts right there, and there's English right underneath that. There's transliterated Greek right there, if you can read that. Uh, but the, I'm not going to read the English, but you can see it there. Uh, so you can follow along. And we're going to read again, I think, four verses, 15 through the end of the chapter, 15, 16, 17, 18, just those four verses. Um, Paul says in the Greek, Tuta gar humen legomen in lago, kuriu hati hemes hati, I'm sorry, hemes hoi zontis hoi paralipomenoi, ace tain parusian, tu kuriu, ume thasomen, that's a tongue twister, tus Koi me thentas, 
verse 16. Hati autas hoc curias in kelesumati in phone archangulu, right? The voice of the angel, the phone of the arch of the archangel or archangel, archangulu in the Greek. Kai in salpingi, that's the Greek metal trumpet uh, that would have been recognized in the Bible, the salpinks. Uh, so the, the kai in salpingian with the uh, the salpingi theu, the, the trumpet of God. Kata besetai ap uranu kai hoi nekroi in Christo, the rising of the dead in Christ. Uh, he continues, Anastasantai proton. Uh, these dead in Christ will rise first. He continues in verse 17. Epeta hemes hoi zontis hoi paralipomenoi hamasun autois harpagesamitha in nevoles eis apantesin tu curio eis era kai hutos pantate sun curio esamitha. And then the final pasik, the final verse, verse 18, hoste parakaleta. That word parakaleta in courage in the, as a verb is similar to the noun paraclete, which we call the comforter, the Holy Spirit used by Yeshua in uh, John 15 and 16 and 17, the, the paraclete. You've probably heard that in sermons. It's the same root Greek word uh, that we get this verb from here, parakaleta, the encur to encourage or to comfort. Hoste para kaleta lelus in tois lagois tutois. And that'll do it for the liturgy for tonight. What I want to do now is something special since we've got just a few minutes left in our uh, study tonight. Normally I would be um, going through the Romans 14 unplugged, feast and fast and food on my, but I don't want to do that tonight. Instead, um, I want to take advantage of the fact that we've got a very special guest uh, with us in our uh, Skype study tonight, so I'm going to bring him on board. He is the rabbi at a Messianic congregation in Pennsylvania, Beth El Gibor Messianic Congregation, uh, and I'm privileged to um, join them, not live, of course, since I'm in South Korea and they're in Pennsylvania, but I'm privileged to join them via their um, streaming services. So let's bring Rabbi Mark Schulman on, and we'll just get to know him a little bit, five or ten minutes, um, whatever time he can afford us. We'll ask him some just some basic questions. He can introduce himself and his congregation, tell us what's on his heart, tell us um, what the Lord's leading him into these days, the vision for his congregation, and how you can get involved in their congregation uh, even if you can't join live, you can join uh, via their streaming site and help support them that way. So uh, without further ado, let me bring the Skype screen over. And there he is. Uh, let me, why is, yeah, there he is. Why is that? Give me a second. There we go. Got rid of it. All right. Well, shalom, shalom to you, Rabbi Mark Schulman. Uh, blessings to you, brother, for uh, joining us during this Skype study. I think it's a first, and so I'm trying to... Uh, uh, make it a special opportunity to get to know you. You feel free to introduce yourself to my YouTube, and uh, this is uh, also going to go up on my uh, uh, iTunes podcast. Uh, they won't be able to see you, but they'll be able to hear you. Let's just take I don't know five or ten minutes. Um, you can introduce yourself, share whatever you'd like to share, tell us about your congregation, uh, and as I mentioned, uh, whatever vision you have for your congregation, what the Lord is laying on your heart, uh, and just to, you know, tell us about yourself. Well, Ari, thanks. Thanks for the introduction. We'll do this again. Um, <clears throat> I'm uh, 
as uh, Ari was saying, you know, probably the words would be different, but uh, yes, I'm the senior rabbi at uh, Congregation Bethel Gibor in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Um, I also have an associate rabbi, Rabbi um, Eduardo Arroyo, uh, who I'm blessed to have also leading the congregation. Um, so uh, I've been a I've been a Messianic believer in 25 years, 26 years. And uh, I was raised uh, Orthodox, um, practicing Orthodox, modern Orthodox. Um, I went to yeshiva for a little over three years. My parents' hope was that I would be a um, Orthodox rabbi. Uh, that was not my vision. That was their vision. Eventually dropped out. I actually was going to secular college as well as to yeshiva. It was probably um, it was just too much. Um, so um, <clears throat> I've always had a personal relationship with Adonai. Um, I was pretty faithful to keeping uh, the commandments as uh, interpreted and instructed by uh, those that preceded me. Um, but uh, I kind of walked away for a few years uh, just looking for an identity, uh, uh, pouring myself into a secular world. Um, I've held many high corporate jobs you know, for me, not since 1999. I left the, the corporate world in 1999 to, as uh, the Lord Yeshua insisted, I pursue him uh, full time. Um, and so I have been faithful to that. And uh, I actually never planned on being a rabbi. I became a, a messianic rabbi um, in 2006 uh, after going back to some went to seminary, um, Messianic Seminary. Um, and so um, I have a couple of master's degrees and assorted other things. Um, I really, what I needed was knowledge in the New Covenant. But the reason I came to the Lord was I had a personal experience. Um, my wife and I actually, on the same night, uh, through some real dark times in, in our lives, my wife had, had been real sick, and uh, they actually thought she would die for a while. And uh, the Lord intervened, and uh, we were uh, we had friends um, uh, that uh, watched over us while we had two kids at the time, little kids. And uh, they were believers, and um, um, uh, when my wife was put into a, an induced coma, uh, the doctors who were, were believers actually said, they, I said, what should we do? And they said, pray. We don't know what's wrong with her. And I went down to a chapel, and uh, I... Uh, uh, I didn't. The only I, the only prayer I really knew was liturgical prayer, and I wasn't really up to that. And I started screaming out to God, crying out to God, you know, if you're real, show up. And he did. He showed up. My wife miraculously recovered. Uh, they still don't know why she was sick, what she was recovering from, and uh, that led to being invited to a church, a, a tiny church. This was in Douglasville, Georgia, in the middle of the Ku Klux Klan country, and. Uh, <laughs> Wow. And uh, yeah, and in a month or two, uh, circumstances lended themselves to uh, us experiencing the same night the Holy Spirit and a and a calling from the Lord, and uh, and I, I really never you know I, I didn't look back. Um, I we both made a profession of faith without knowing each one had done it uh, in the same night, and uh, then realizing that we had and. And then it hit me, you know, this is probably going to kill my parents. And uh, <laughs> but uh, the Lord, the Lord was gracious because 
I felt I, I need to call my parents right then and there. And he said, wait, and I did for about a year. That's a whole other story. But uh, <laughs> the Lord has le- led me on this journey of of not only knowledge, but um, uh, discipling, learning, leading, loving, um, being uh, a, a, a place where people could be held accountable. Um, you know, accountability really works better in a village than it does one-on-one in some sense. Um, I agree. But we, uh, you know, we, we, you know, you know, just through the the few things that you were sharing, you know, we have a vision. The vision, the vision is for Beth El Gibor. There's several visions, but in the midst of the vision is Jew and Gentile, one and Messiah. Um, Amen. But Amen. but attached. But attached to the Lord and His character and His Word and His ways, you know, we um, we follow the Sabbath and we, um, you know, um, you know, we read from the Torah scrolls and 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 we we teach these things as ways of worshiping God. Um, they are not our identity. Our identity is Yeshua, but they give us uh, some purpose and, and 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 structure that lends itself to understanding Scripture. Uh, with the right, with the right interpretations, the right understanding, um, we 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 work on loving people, but loving them not just with uh, the nice side, but the tough side. Um, yeah, you know, uh, I I'm a, I'm a I'm a I'm a shepherd first. I'm a rabbi first. I'm your friend second. Um, I know <laughs> I don't have. A problem wearing both hats, but people sometimes have a problem with uh, knowing what hat I'm wearing. Um, but you know, our, our our purpose here is to glorify God, to sh- spread the gospel to the Jew first and equally to the Gentile, uh, to live a life that glorifies God, that to live a life that leads us to eternal salvation. Um, our our my the vision is to empower people to be able to walk the walk, talk the talk, uh, to get through times of trial and suffering and challenge as Jesus promised, and uh, to still be able to glorify Him. Um, you know the the feast days are paramount to that expression of how it works, and um, indeed the unity that you know you were talking about tonight. And again, you know the teachings, you know the short te- the teaching that you gave, you know this evening, you know it's it's right up to where you know those are teachings that we give on a regular basis um, because they're paramount to us understanding. You know, it's our goal is to teach, to show people what is God's desire and not to give him what we think he wants, but to give him what he desires. And that's faithfulness. That's obedience. Yeah. And, and look, we can enjoy ourselves as Jews and Gentiles and we don't really focus on that very much. You know, for me, Yes, we're a congregation of Jews and Gentiles, and I think the the great purpose in that is that it shows that God's working His plan, that God is indeed continuing to build one new man through the through the Jew first and equally to the Gentile, and that we're a congregation that is diverse that way, not only as Jew and Gentile, but in in mul- multiple ethnicities, cultures, and traditions. Um, we do celebrate Yeshua's uh, traditions as as they um, hold up. Um, you know, I'm interested, you know, WWYD, what would Yeshua do? Uh, 
Um, you know, if there are traditions within in, in the, the Jewish heritage that that Yeshua embraces and glorifies them, I'm all for it. If it doesn't, then then they go by the wayside. And I've spent 26 years learning what to let go. Um, yeah. And um, and and what what to embrace. And um, you know, God's no respecter of persons. And um, we shouldn't be respecters of, in in this sense, traditions that don't uphold and glorify God. Um, That's right. I'm a firm That's believer that. Right. I'm a firm believer that you can't take something that is pagan and make it holy. And yeah. uh, so we <laughs> don't do things that the scripture uh, clearly don't support. Um, but I do think there's lots of room for expression. You know, I, I don't think we've cornered the market on expression or worship or any of those things. We do what the Lord equips us with and has gifted us with. And we continue to grow that and to change, to let things go, embrace things that that bring us closer to God, but loving one another, right? And, and as you were alluding to that too, you know, the, the one new man is about loving one another. And, and I actually see the Jew and Gentile relationship as a type of marriage, right? Which you were starting to allude to. Um, but the Jew and Gentile that's prophesied, I see that as a, as a parallel to the marriage of the lamb and ourselves, and that we are called together, that, that the nations are grafted in, in Israel, and that there's a, there's, a, there's a marriage there, there's a responsibility, there's accountability. Um, and um, we work at, you know, we kind of work at that. You do have to work at it. It's not about works, although faith without works is dead, as we should know. But yes, you have very to true. work at growing. Right, we yeah. have to say yes, and we have to say no. Yeshua says, like, "Yes, be yes, and no, be no," and there's hard work in it. Um, yeah, and to recognize where we fall short and where God reveals something to us. So, look, I could go on and on about that. If you have particular questions, I'd be happy to ask. You know, answer well, them. Well, thank you, thank you for taking the time to share what Hashem is laying on your heart. What, what, what? Uh, it's part of your like personal testimony, um, uh, and you're right. We could go on and on. Take take just maybe the last few minutes as we're winding down. Um, where can people? This is going to go on my YouTube video, so or my YouTube channel. Where can people find uh, you online on the web? Let me show real quick uh, BEG's website. Uh, let's see. Where do I have the bookmark? Right there. I'll show the my viewers this real quick, and then you can talk about it as well. Hey, that's us. <laughs> hey, that's you. Look at that. Um, all right, let me give a general dismissal for the internet crowd, and then um, um, that'll close the study out tonight. Abba, we bless your name, and we thank you so much for the fellowship. Um, I'm so blessed to be able to uh, make... Uh, friends uh, with people I've never met before, but I consider them family because of the fellowship of spirit. And I can I can sense that uh, the camaraderie and uh, the connection. And I'm thankful, Lord, for the people who have been um, a part of my internet uh, live study for for so long. Uh, the people who join me week after week and uh, bless me with a presence and with their um, with their prayers and their, with their support. Lord, I know you're faithful, even in the times when I can't be faithful just because of my stubborn flesh. 
Uh, I know that you forgive me and that you continue to strengthen me. Lord, as a community, continue to raise us up and give us a voice of clarity, a voice of sanity in this in this world of madness, um, in this world of of, um, of challenge and darkness and and uh, and uh, uncertainty. We know, Lord, that uh, your words hold the instructions of life for us. We're going to continue to press in and memorize them and hide them deep in our hearts so that we might not sin against you. Give us opportunity to share our testimony with those around us, even despite uh, the fears of COVID, Lord. This doesn't um, exempt us from sharing the good news with people that we meet, uh, with our friends, our family members, our co-workers, uh, even strangers that we might meet. Lord, we have been given this this mandate, this this opportunity, this, this commission to take this good news um, of Yeshua, the Messiah of, of both Jew and Gentile, to bring people into a relationship with the Father. Thank you that you're raising us up and that you're equipping us um, and that you're um, giving us holy boldness. Uh, continue to go with us throughout the week. Strengthen us, protect us, heal us, and we shall be healed. And we'll be careful to give you the praise and the glory of Hashem Yeshua. Amen. That concludes our show for today. It is my desire that this continuing series of teachings will assist the average non-Jewish believer or new Messianic Jewish believer in his desire to become a more mature child of God. And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth, and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your forefathers and loved them. And he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations, as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. Because the Torah is written on the hearts of all who truly name the name of Yeshua as Lord and Savior, it is meant to be followed to the best of our ability. We have no reason for fear of condemnation or the trappings of legalism. My name is Ariel Ben Lyman Hanavi. The intro and outro song were written, produced, and performed by Ryan Kingsley. For more information on contacting Ryan, you can reach me by email at yeshua613 at hotmail.com. That's Y-E-S-H-U-A number 613 at hotmail.com. Or visit our website at graftedin.com. That's graftedin.com.